0: Welcome to The New Normal from Spotlight On. I'm your host, Lawrence Purrier. Today's guest is swim coach David Marsh, Someone whose accomplishments require their own episode to enumerate. Here's some highlights. David Marsh is the head coach of Team Elite Aquatics, the top professional swim training group in the United States. In 2016, Team Elite placed more athletes on the U.S. Olympic team than any other program. If Team Elite were a country, they would have placed third in the 2016 Rio Olympic medal standings. Marsh was the head U.S. Olympic women's swim coach in Rio, leading Team USA to the most medals in USA swimming's already storied modern history. Before Team Elite, Marsh was the men's and women's swimming coach at Auburn University. Coaching the men's and women's programs to a combined 12 national titles, Coach Marsh is the most successful Auburn coach regardless of sport. Having coached 49 Olympians from 19 different countries, his swimmers have combined to win 89 individual NCAA titles and 277 individual SEC titles. Those accomplishments only begin to reflect the holistic approach that Marsh takes with his athletes, with his concern for their personal and professional development during and after their time in the water. And David Marsh has great taste in music. So now... My conversation with Coach David Marsh. 20 years ago, I was running a company called Ultrastar, and um, David Bowie was the founder of the company, okay. and, <laughs> and we, we landed the Stones as clients shortly after 9-11. Um, they were going on tour in, in 2002, and we did artists' websites, ticketing, their fan clubs, things of like that, and that's sort of their official online presence. So we worked with the Stones up until about 2007 or so, and then the company sold to Live Nation. Through a mixture of circumstances, I wound up doing a bunch of work directly with Keith. So since that time, basically, um, if he does any kind of catalog reissue or um, really any project outside the Stones, um, I help work on it on either the business side or all of his archival and catalog reissues, I produce all those projects. So.
1: Awesome. Um, wow. amazing! That's, that's so fun. Yeah. They, they had to cancel their, their uh, date here in San Diego, but I have seen it before. And uh, it's certainly one of my top, top bands. Although you said you started with David Bowie. So you can't top that with my wife because that's her <laughs> like number one guy. Like literally she still tears up when she thinks of David Bowie now. And you know, so it's a, uh, the family, even though none of us really play instruments, we're, we're quite uh, well, the, especially the girls. I have two, daughters and and uh, one son but they're very into the music that's their so their connection point which is beautiful
0: what if any role does music play in your day job do you use it in, in your training or is the, is there are you able to bring those two things together that's so funny you ask that because
1: it's like it, it, yesterday i was at the at the pool and and uh had uh bg's radio on and so it was you know playing my music you know from uh, from my grooving days yeah, we carry around a little boombox thing. It's, they're really small now. Not Back in you know, my days, boomboxes were huge. But yeah. now they're little mini things. So you just set them, set them up. And yeah, music all the time in our practices. Literally, it, it sort of sets the tone of the practices. When we're doing sort of relaxed skill work, I have some Jack Johnson playing. I have some nice chill stuff. Lately, I went to a Tame Impala concert and didn't know anything about them. And, and now I'm a fan. So now I play that when I want a little bit of that groove going on. Uh, we'll put the uh, electronic stuff on. It's really interesting, too, uh, even technical. That a lot of the, uh, I guess it's called EDM music, where they do the techno stuff, is at a uh, tempo very similar to the ideal tempo of an underwater dolphin kicker at the ideal s- speed. So an underwater tempo is uh, 0.45 per per kick is an ideal sort of tempo for an underwater kicker. A lot of the music's right at 0.5. And so you can set that up, and you just say, keep up with the music. So we'll do vertical kicking. They'll be kicking in place, and they'll just try to keep up with the music. And it, uh, it's, it's challenging because it's, it's race, speed, tempo. Uh, some, if everything from mood setting to technical things even. And and nowadays, the technology with uh, Speedo and some other companies are getting further and further ahead with being able to put music in, in, uh, in the ears while people swim and that's a bit of a game changer because swimming can be a pretty darn boring sport because you know you swim in one way you turn around you swim the other way and that's pretty much the activity, and so putting music to it is uh, definitely adds a lot more to it. How do they do that without impacting the
0: aerodynamics?
1: Oh, it, 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 it's a, the speeds you're doing for practices. You don't worry about that so much. In fact, we actually will wear things to cause us to slow down. So we'll wear extra resistance drag suits and we'll wear occasionally uh, different kinds of devices like a parachute that, 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 that hangs out behind a somewhere to slow them down. It changes the mechanics of their strokes. So they're able to sort of grab the water a little bit more efficiently. And, uh, so we go on, on and off different equipment all the time. So, you know, some, some speakers
0: in the ears, uh, aren't, aren't too bad. Interesting. Is the notion behind that then you're, you're sort of the lightest and most free in competition?
1: Yes, actually, and then you try to actually squeeze into the tightest thing you can get into. It's almost like a girdle, but uh, the, the, the suit that really speedo revolutionized our sport when they did the shark skin suit a long time ago, and now the technology keeps getting better and better, and really now, they're, now at the racing moment, you're wearing a suit that sort of holds everything together, it actually puts your body in sort of an ideal posture, and it, it, it's shaped to want to keep you there. And then the cool idea, too, is for the water to pass over it as clean as it possibly can and for it to you know, help you implode a little bit. So, I mean, fabric, tight fabric is faster than skin because skin wobbles. I and mean, even, even fit, the most fit people, doesn't matter. Skin's going to wobble, and that's going to slow you down. Anything wobbling in the water slows you down. You don't see dolphins out in the ocean have any, uh, none of
0: their skin is wobbling, you know, so slip slip through the water. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, I never, I never made that connection between the sort of tight, smooth, uh, external body on a on a fish or a dolphin in particular. Um, oh, yeah, to,
1: absolutely. Know. And we, and in fact, yesterday in one of our Zoom calls, we were uh, visiting with several coaches. I've got a, a, a pri- sort of a private group called Eager Coaches, and it's just a list of about sixty coaches from around the world. And we had coaches from all over the world on the call and had some talking about that exact topic and showed the video of the penguins, how these penguins that are made up of, you know, almost 50% blubber can get from the water and launch themselves into into the air. And they do that by following each other's uh, bubble path. And when they travel to the bubble path, it disrupts the drag that the water normally causes. So they travel much faster so they can launch higher. Well, we're trying to figure out how do we use that in our sport, how can we get create bubbles that we we can travel through? Uh, so those those are the kind of the, those are kind of interesting things that you know uh, pre quarantine. Honestly, we didn't have the 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 time to have these kind of Zoom calls and be able to sort of dig in together. Or at least we didn't make time like we do now. And and uh, so it's been it's been interesting to see. Uh, the growth that's going on, uh, especially in the education side of coaching and the education and the sharing side. There's so much sharing going on right now. It's really, and, it, and it's global sharing. It's really cool because, you know, swimming is swimming around the world. It doesn't, you know, you don't play different rules in China or in, or in uh, Taiwan or in, or in uh, you know, France. You, you do the same thing and you try to figure it out the same way. You speak different languages, but you're trying to accomplish the same thing.
0: How much of those types of things that you find um, – you know, the coaching community sharing right now, how much of that um, would you have been reluctant to share in the past? Or like, do coaches have their, their secret sauce that they would never fully uh, divulge? Or as part of the fun, making a little breakthrough and sharing it? Or do you want do you want to keep that to yourself? Or do you want the community to know about? It? Well, it's, it's depends on the
1: coach. I think yes and yes is the answer. Really, the, the, there are coaches that uh, you can tell they try to keep their the trade secrets and you know when you're when for example when you're a college coach you sort of have to uh, sell the image that you're the coach of all coaches and if you want to so fast you better come to my college you know now that I, I, I did college coaching for a long time sort of have that have that shirt now I'm doing professional coaching and also have an age group team so uh, I've always been very open book I mean I've let people come on my pool deck anytime but really admittedly the 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 cumulative knowledge I have in the sport of swimming and what I use in swimming every day is really just a gathering of all kinds of information, from lots of people for lots of time, trying things, failing, and then resetting and readjusting and evaluating and, and going at it again. So I think that uh, there is more sharing going on, to your question, there's more sharing going on right now than I've ever seen. And especially if you're an eager coach or really probably in any kind of uh, profession, if you want to learn more, now's an amazing time. I've got several of the professional athletes that I work with here in San Diego, they're uh, taking classes online that they've, they've never had really time to take or they have never made time to take. And so I'm really thrilled at that because one of the problems with professional swimming is first of all, that doesn't make much money. So they're not going to come out of professional swimming wealthy, um, and they're generally going to be behind, although they have great diplomas from major you know, universities, but they, lo- they sort of lose that five to eight year gap of when they're finished college and they're still doing professional swimming, and uh, to, to where they, they have a hard time entering the market. There's really a bit of a challenge in that window because they enter as a 22 year old because they're competing with the 22 year olds at, at, at being a new in, employer. In fact, I was talking to Emily White, you know Emily from Collective Entertainment. And she's written a book now on interning. And, and literally, that's what these skills that these guys need to learn is is have, have, uh, have skills to transition from sport into next steps of life. And quarantine time has actually uh, given uh, most of them a chance to take a deep breath and have a little bit more time, require them to really evaluate. I, I think uh, one of the first things when this thing first happened, I asked all the athletes to consider their why, you know, I want, you know, okay, the Olympics has been postponed. Okay. So we have another, we're going to reset for the Olympics. But before you do that, before you make your quick plans to what it looks like to get ready for the next version of Tokyo in 2021, consider why you're doing it right now. And I, I wanted the why as they evaluated that to be flushed out in the full zone, which would be, I'm doing it because I absolutely love it. This makes me want it more uh, this is, this has just got me more excited. Now I have a little more time to even get better to the other extreme would be, you know what I'm doing it because I'm sort of afraid not to do it. And it's just what I, I, it's my, it's my sort of self image of myself as I'm a swimmer. I've labeled myself a swimmer and, and I, and, I sort of don't want to let my parents down and other people down. So my why may be time to evaluate it and, and step, step away from swimming at this point and transition off. And, uh, I've had all of those conversations and they're probably going to have more conversations about that as this goes on and on. And, and, and and at, and, and, at the end of the day, I think we could be more healthy. We could be more better for this because there'll be more purpose in what they're doing. I hope, you know, a lot of times in sports and, and really, I'm sure in uh, different professions you work, you work with, you know, the, there's a performance based identity and in that, in that performance-based identity, it's like, I, I this is what I do. This is the me. And the reality is it's not to you. There's so much more to you. And and when you sort of have time right now to step away and recognize that there is a lot more to you, there's a lot more to the way you think, your philosophy, your faith, your, you know, there's all kinds of areas you can go into and explore. And now I, I see a lot of uh, athletes around the world that I interact with, but especially the group I have here in San Diego uh Taking time to consider that and being just a little more thoughtful right
0: now. So, part of your job and your role as a coach, um, you dig into that stuff more holistically um, than I think I, I understood coming into this call. You that that's you you, you don't begin and end just in the full deck.
1: No, I i I've, when I first got into coaching, it's been a long time now. I'm sixty-two now. it has been a lot of years. I've got first got into coaching. And what hooked me right away is working with people and the fact that you can impact people through a sport like swimming. And swimming is a very unique sport in a lot of ways. One, because as we started before, said before, it's sort of this individual sport wrapped in a team concept. So you have these individuals that make up the Olympic team. You have these individuals that make up a college team. You have these individuals that make up a uh, this professional team we have out here called Team Elite. And And this group if they work together, they can get synergistic effect. They can get uh, benefits of, of competition and practice off of each other. They can get sometimes razzing each other and give each other crap, you know, and, and that, that helps to sort of bring out some new uh, efforts and, and energy. At the end of the day, though, you step up on the blocks in your Speedo with your goggles and your cap, and that's all it is. I mean, it's a very pure sport, and and you're, and you're going into – you know, water, which, uh, you know, God didn't make us to be swimmers. Goodness gracious, means uh, any fish in the water is 100 times more efficient than the most efficient swimmer. Like Coach Ryan Locke did the last, the last uh, Olympic cycle, and some would say he's one of the most aquatic swimmers in history. And I would agree, by the way. He's not even remotely aquatic compared to the little sea perch I catch off the ocean here in San Diego. I mean, those things can move so much faster, react quicker than he ever could think to do in the water. Uh, So we're trying to do something that's really not natural to humans. And so we're learning that uh, by becoming more aquatic uh, in our training and, and working on our skills, working on our feel for the water. Technology helps us some with those swimsuits and the different training devices, but uh, all in all, it's a very interesting profession, but at the end of the day, it's about people and, uh, swimming people are some of the best people in the world. They, 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 they do generally really cool things in life. They're, uh, they're people that from a young age they are interacting with, with men and women and pra- boys and girls in practice. From a young age, they've all gone through disappointment. They've gone through plateaus. They've had to you know, dig in and deal with uh, limitations. They've had a variety of coaches that have influenced their lives as they come through. And, and at some point, they, they get into a college, and they, they compete at that college for that team. And, and so it's a, the process of swimming from beginning to end is a, is a very healthy process. It's a process that prepares people for life if they'll use it well and uh, pro swimming is a very new thing. This is a, a, new, a new area that really only has kicked up the last probably 10 years. Rowdy Gaines was the first professional swimmer that signed with an agent back in 1983, and uh, it's come a long way since then. Uh, the, the money still isn't big, and, but the opportunity to get a chance to be your best, because for a lot of athletes, your best is going to be in your late 20s, maybe in your, even in your early 30s. I mean, uh, uh, you know Emily so she 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 represents uh, Anthony Irvin and he he swam in the last Olympics he won the Olympic games at 35 years old in the 50 freestyle which is probably one of the the toughest most competitive events there are in our sport because it's the fastest event uh he's an example of that they, that swimmers, and probably a lot of athletes can get better as they get older because they also know how to train better they take get better care of their bodies they they've learned it's a there's a collection of information and skills you learn throughout a career and you sort of can put it together
0: and it takes years and years to learn that. Do you think that um, with the advances in science and conditioning and, and the collective wisdom or the collective knowledge you referred to, um, will that age barrier continue to move out or does, uh, does biology, you just hit a wall at some point?
1: I mean, biology certainly hits a wall at some point. Uh, uh, so I, I don't know what that point is yet. I, th- I think, you know, Derek Torres was pushing it uh, earlier, and uh, I would say somewhere in that, that 30 to 40 age range. But again, you're going to have, you know, athletes that are 16 years old breaking world records too. So it's a, you know, we're a sport that's that really, you, you want to take advantage of the moments you have, because even in, sort of in your life cycle, you know, when you, you know, want to get married, you want to have a family, you want to you know, begin to get a job, you want to start the, so all those things kind of interact too. Uh, so I, I think it's a, it's a combination of a lot of things that make up when your ideal time to swim well is. The unique thing in swimming is that we try to hit it every four years because the Olympic Games is a thousand times anything else that happens in our sport. It's nice if you win a world championship, but to win an Olympic Games, to be on the USA Olympic team is a lifetime game changer, at least in the uh, uh, sort of emotions of every every swimmer there is in the world. So, I, you know, we, we really hold this Olympic – Uh, a goal in the highest esteem, and uh, having been someone that has been to, you know, all the Olympics since the Barcelona Olympics, uh, I see why. I see why. And and we're in this world pandemic right now, and I can relate to this because I can relate to the Olympics. You know, when we go to the Olympic Village, you know, we're one community. There isn't people at odds there. We're eating together. We're, I mean, there was the last Olympics in Rio. It was a day when I was sitting at one of my tables, one of the Israeli swimmers, I worked as an Israeli uh, consultant for their national swim team, and I was with one of the swimmers. We had a uh, Iranian uh, fencer that came over. We had an we had a uh, African runner. It was it was and we had this brilliant conversation, nothing to do with anything except uh, the the experience of the Olympics and the experience of Olympics for a very small percentage is about winning medals. And almost everybody else is just about being there and soaking it in, giving their best effort, because they're probably not going to win a medal. And there's there's this moment for these two weeks in this village that when you get to experience it, it really changes you from the inside, knowing that we can do this. And in the, this world pandemic, you know, I, I just heard a stat that there's, there was no shootings in March, no school shootings. I mean, you know, we, you know it's sad that it has to be a pandemic that, that brings this kind of thing out, but... The reality is uh, we can do better as a global community. Uh, we know that the pollution, as low as it's ever been, uh, my daughter and I were, uh, were driving down the, the 101 going up to Encinitas the other day. Big whale comes up. The back of the whale breaches up. And I know that's not because of you know the pandemic necessarily, but just it represented to me that nature is really reclaiming its, its territory a little bit. You know, we're, we're – so it's a – you know, like a lot of your your, your people you've interviewed so far, and have listened to several of your podcasts, and thank you for doing it. It's really, they're really interesting guests you have. We, we need to learn from this and be better coming out of this. We don't need to be the, we don't need to jump back to the same thing. And it's the same in sport. We need to learn from this in sport. You know, I'm a, I'm a ESPN junkie, you know, so I come home and I flick on ESPN. I want to see what the latest top 10 highlights were. And honestly... I'm not missing it. I'm not missing, you know, my basketball game, my my football, a little bit, my Auburn Tiger football team, a little bit, but I'm really not missing it that much. Uh, so it's it's been interesting to sort of sit back without sports when that's such a big part of my life and say, okay, at least the entertainment part of sports on TV, I don't need it as much as I thought probably I did need it.
0: There's a lot in there, but what's, what's really been fascinating to me to observe and to, to read little pieces about it's that notion of nature and reclamation. Um, You know, the, there was a piece the other day about um, bears uh, and the coyotes and such at Yosemite Um, with no people around the bears are walking down the street and (laughs) getting closer to the, to the, to the quarters where the employees live. Um, And I think we've seen lots of anecdotes about that. You know, there's coyotes back in San Francisco, but I, I think back when, you know, when I was a kid, I grew up in Connecticut, um, okay. in the Northeast, and the fisheries were, the fresh and saltwater fisheries were really in bad shape. If you could catch any meaningful fish, it certainly couldn't eat them. And just in my lifetime, the rivers got cleaner, uh, Long Island Sound got cleaner, the commercial fisheries came back, the lobster industry came back, um, there were world record uh, striped bass caught, oh. um, and we're talking in a period of, I don't know, the early 70s to the, certainly by the mid-80s, it had all come back. Late 80s, maybe. But it's really amazing how resilient um, nature is. And uh, it doesn't take, it, I, to me, there's a lot of optimism in that, you know. And if any of these things that you talked about could carry through, there's a lot of really positive that could come of this, if, if we could allow it.
1: Yeah, for yeah. sure. No, it's a, it's a, you know, that we. I was. I have a uh, one of the houses that that I stayed at when I first got here to town. There's a, there's a beautiful view of, of La Jolla, but it's. The, I had a friend over, Matt Donahue, who's, who's looking with me, and he li- lived in San Diego his whole life. And we're looking over to the right, and we see, you know, Catalina, which you, can, you see every once in a while, but you can see it really clearly. And then you saw this one more island, and he says, uh, "I've never seen that island in my lifetime. I lived here my whole life. I've never seen that island." And it's an island that's off of Santa Barbara, it's a Santa Rosa area And that, you could see that far. So, uh, even, even here in California where, you know, the, the sky seemed pretty clear. Uh, it's amazing the, what, what's happening in nature. Yes. It's, it's a, it's a good thing. And, you know, hopefully we all, we all learn from this and, and get better. I know, uh, you know I bought a couple of those uh, specialized e-bikes, and so mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been using the e-bike a lot, and, and uh, it's amazing to not have traffic uh, you know, and, and to be able to, to move around a little bit without traffic, and it's quite pleasant to, to, to be out on the bike and not feel like you're going to get run over by a car every two seconds. Yeah.
0: Well, I was, I was hoping that um, I could ask you a few questions about the Olympics and about how your athletes are preparing and exactly. how the situation changes their preparedness. And um, I guess specific to the Olympics, how, what, what you, what's your take on the process that went into calling the games? And was there really any alternative to the outcome that we're with? Was there ever any chance that they could have gone uh,
1: I don't think so. I, I think they waited too long to call it. But here, here is the deal. So in that window of time, it was basically late February, early March, uh, we were training full on, and we knew this, this pandemic was sort of kicking in. We I'd taken a group of athletes to some competitions over in Nice, France, and then ended up for that window of time in France when the first corona viruses were found in France. And so we knew this thing was escalating, and we'd heard in Italy it's really escalating. So it was just at that window of time we came back and – we sort of knew we needed to begin to adjust things or go, things were going to adjust, but there was nothing said at, the, at that highest level. There was nothing said at the international athletics level and in the, the IOC, I thought, and, and Tokyo took too long to make the decision because clearly, the, it was to me clear two or three weeks before, and I think when Canada took the final step in the sport of swimming and said, we're not sending our athletes period. Uh, if it's this summer, it's over. We're not sending them. I think that was a, a very strong statement that sort of uh, flipped things over to another level and, and became more and more countries became you know serious about that. And then the, then I think everybody felt the pressure and then it was announced for a year later. It was a, it was a good decision. But in that window of time, those three or four weeks, we were still training. We And even when they started shutting down pools, uh, I mean, world-class athletes are going to train until they're told, if, if you're saying there's an Olympics four months away, they're going to train full on for that Olympics. They're willing to risk a lot of things to do that. And as a coach, I mean, I have to honor that too. And or I, I chose to honor it and and went around with them to, as they cl- would close, you know, this pool, then we'd move to this pool and then this, this, okay. when that got closed and we ended up at, uh, at the, uh, out in the Bay in Coronado and in some cases out in the ocean, out in, uh, out in La Jolla, and and then they then they close the ocean, <laughs> so we we were out of we were out of that too. So we're actually you know this moment right now, uh, we're operating out of a, a backyard pool, and that yeah they're swimming some, uh, but it's all which we're keeping the the house the, the people who are roommates with each other they're staying together and they go to the pool an outdoor pool they swim and then they only swim forty minutes and then they uh, get out of there. So that's. You know, these athletes have gone from twenty hours a week training to an hour and a half to two hours maximum per week in the water, actually. It's sort of a radical adjustment. And we went from, you know, our, our we, we trained at the Jewish Community Center in La Jolla as our home pool. And then when that when pool started closing, we had to we had to make adjustments the whole whole time along. And fortunately there is one of the group of the athletes, they live in an apartment complex where they left the pool open too. So they, they, they do resistance work in there. In the, uh, in the pool there. So they're getting some touches in water and uh, swimmers, they don't know what to do when they're not in the water a little bit. So uh, we, we, do, we do try to get them in where we can. And, and hopefully if things are going well, I feel like as the curve flattens, they'll I think one of the early things they'll do is reopen the ocean. And out here in San Diego, I've really encouraged the professional swimmers as they get here to learn how to surf, to use the ocean, to, to take advantage of that natural resource, to become more aquatic and learn more about how to manage themselves and become more athletic uh, in a variety of ways in the water.
0: Hopefully I'm not making too big a stretch. It sounds like part of what you're saying is take any water you can get and just keep, keep the feel for the water. The, the, the time you know, for the, training will come back, but just get right. in the water if you can.
1: you, know, you got to keep in mind, there's, you know, there's, again, it's a global sport. So we're not, we're not in a, you know, just a U.S. sport. And these guys are seeing the Australians are training full on. The Chinese are training full on. You know, so it's that's their competitors. <laughs> and so the, these these athletes are, some are using it right now. In fact, even in the group I have, I've given them full option. Guys, we'll do all we can to give you what we can safely. At least, you know, we feel like as safe as we can possibly make it. Uh, and then there's a group that is in the middle, and they're trying to hold, just sort of hold their fitness level. So most of them are doing mostly dry land work. So we're doing Zoom calls in the morning, Doing uh, uh, work, we have a Ophir Gonan is is, one, is our dry land coach. So he puts on a Zoom call in the morning, and then in the uh, then there's a group that's taking a break right now, and they're not trying to do sports right now. They're actually taking a, a mental break, a physical break, and and they'll come back online after the is over. But it's as a professional athlete, it's your choice what you want to do, and we're trying to provide some, at least some basic uh, training that they can do. A lot of the training we do is we send them, you know, send them in writing and. And they can go go do their work, but there isn't much pool space available in in in, uh, uh, in California. All the public uh, pools are closed. All the community pools are closed. All all the you know really in it's, it's almost everything's closed down right now. And and uh, and you know I, I live two, you know two blocks from the beach, but I can't go walk on the beach anymore. So it's it's kind of kind of kind of been sad. At the same time, you have to understand because it's you know there, there was a, a lot of
0: people gathering around places like that. So, as someone whose big part of their job is to get someone in the water and make it so they can go fast yeah, <laughs> on demand—that's the um, job. How does how does this impact the preparedness? Le- like, how do you get somebody back into that place physically and mentally, knowing that it's not just the Olympics next summer; it's the qualifying rounds, it's the competition before that. Like, it, it doesn't seem like you just press the reset button. What? No,
1: no. But here's, 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 here's an interesting thing. I, I think the one, the, one of the things that's, that people, that's different about swimming now, unfortunately is different, is that swimmers are more athletic than they've ever been right now. I mean, there's, there's a reason Caleb Dressel can do a 50 freestyle really fast. One of the reasons is he has a 43-inch vertical jump. He's just an athlete. He's an explosive athlete. So we've really challenged the whole team, our age group team, Team League Stingrays, and our professionals – to say, hey, in this window, become a better athlete. Increase your pull-ups by five to ten. Increase your push-ups by fifteen to twenty. I mean, I'm talking about in a, in a maximum set. Increase your ability to go out and do a, a one or two mile run at a, at a at a certain speed. Be just be more athletic. You know, some of the guys have picked up some of the movements, uh, m- movement work that's out there. This morning, a lot of our summers are on the, a, a yoga call. One of our athletes teaches yoga. Linnea Mack, and she was leading it with our team. So trying to work on all, all the different things You that, that a lot of times when we're swimming 20 hours a week, the, the energy in the course of a week is not fully there to do the dry land. So we're trying to just try to, to, to make, you know, uh, lemonade out of these lemons we've been given. And the, lemon, the situation right now is, is build a better athlete in this window of time. Uh, a lot of the mindset stuff. I'm having a lot of the uh, the sports psychologists and and friends that are involved in that communicate with the group. And just before this call here, I was been I've been uh, WhatsApping back with the group on the the value of visualization, the value of imagery. And again, it's one of those things where uh, athletes, unless they're very disciplined and or we're just really fully fully are committed to that, they don't do it systemically they, they'll generally do it sort of toward the championship meets and toward the big, big times of the season. Well, now's the time they can get really good at it. And, you know, imagery is very valuable in all aspects of life, but you know, cause if you can't see it, visualize it, the chances of it actually happening is very remote. Like you have to like feel that uh, I'm sure the, the artists you work with, they, they see themselves on the big stage. They see them, they visualize themselves playing in front of a, a sold out audience. And same thing for an athlete. They, they need to feel that and see that, that they're standing on the, the blocks in lane four at the Olympic games, ready to, to, to throw down their best race of their life. And if they can visualize that, you know, the mind doesn't know the difference between something that's vividly imagined and something that's real. It, there's some mind uh, experiences that like it's really happened. And so it sends great messages to your body that you're capable of it and that you can do it. And so it's one of the this is a window of time where we can uh, spend time on that and develop that and, and, and become perhaps even better.
0: Wow. Well, I, um, nothing about your positivity surprises me. Um, and the fact that, uh, you, you, you neither had the time nor took the time. It sounds like to really wallow in the fact that the Olympics are postponed for a year. It, I, I can't, I can't imagine what it's like to be working towards a peak, um, to have the mountain then lifted and <laughs> moved oh, to an entirely man. different destination. Well, I had, but, I had um, two
1: different situations. You know, my daughter, she, she's a senior, a senior at Duke. So she's one of the ones that got caught in that little window of time where her and meet got canceled two weeks before she was going to go to her final and biggest senior meet. And so it was devastating because she actually had a really good ACC meet. She's, uh, she actually since has been voted Duke uh, senior student athlete of the year. So she was having that kind of year where a great senior year and her best meet that she was going to be tapered and prepared for. And the only time that year she was fully tapered and prepared was going to be that NCAA meet. And that was, uh, that was uh, unfortunately taken away. So she didn't get a chance to do that crescendo event at the end of her career. She's taken her classes online I mean she literally they they had a team meeting, and they said, This is it. go get your to clear out your locker your your career at Duke is over like literally you're you're going to finish everything online so she moved out to california she's was taking a class right before this uh It's actually been fun as it at this age and stage listening into the duke classes they're 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 quite interesting the professors are ha- covering a lot of cool stuff, but yeah, so it's pretty dramatic and then you know I had Kathleen Baker here who's uh uh, already, already an Olympic gold medalist, but she just came off of that March meet, uh, came out of that meet ranked number one in the world in her event. I mean, that was after a year of having a really rough year, a really rough year, and, she, and then she was just coming into it. I think she had rocked at these Olympics, and she has Crohn's disease. She has a herniated disc, because so she has all, a lot of things that make another year a little more complicated, a little bit more challenging than for most athletes. So her moment was could have been that 2020. Now she has to readjust, reset, and we have to make a plan for 2021. 20, and, and, and most of the time with Kathleen, I have to hold her back. She's super motivated. She wants to go, go, go. So I said, hey, let's use this time to fix your freestyle breathing, try to get a little more flexion on your breaststroke kick, and let's even be faster you know, because of this. But in, or, in order to get faster, sometimes you have to slow down a little bit to get faster. And I think those are some of the lessons that, that athletes uh, often have a hard time learning is, to, is the patience part of the process.
0: Coach, do you think that um, you'll lose any athletes or that the Olympics will have a different makeup because of people that will either age out or for socioeconomic reasons won't be able to hold on for a year or kids that won't? I mean, the, the story about your daughters, really, that's a tough one to hear. Um, you know, how will those kids that were on a track, be, you know, as college athletes or, or young adults training, like, are we going to miss a year a class of kids because they're not going to have the chance to shine in that last end of the, the school year competition. You know, what's the implication on that for individuals?
1: Oh yes, there were many records that would have been broken. I think my daughter would have rewrote the the Duke scoreboard at least, but even more so than that, a lot of there a lot of been a lot of records broken in March because that's a big window of time for a lot of high schools, a lot of I think all colleges, even some professional teams. Uh, not I say professional teams. We're, we're really one of the only professional teams. Other than that, it's mostly professionals that train at colleges. We're one of the only independent professional teams. But definitely is going to impact the Olympics. And and, and what I say about that is yes, there's a group that's going to be one year older. And it's interesting you say uh, socioeconomic. I I think our sport there's an issue with socioeconomic because you know it's an, it's an expensive sport to have pools and have coaching and all that. But I think economic, pure economic, there is a challenge because the, most of these professional athletes, they planned their, you know, with their families or maybe if they had a sponsor, you know, they were trying to hang on to a sponsor. Well, now that sponsor's company probably isn't doing financially like it was last year. So are they going to re- re-up the sponsorship? Hard to say yes to that, you know. And uh, but most of them really just are surviving off of off their own means or off the, you know, with their family support. And this is another year on the family that they're going to have to ask for, you know, more, more money. Fortunately, the International Swim League, which is a, uh, a professional swim league that started last year, did step up and they're, doing, uh, they're, they're paying athletes that are in that league a baseline of 1500 per month if they're in a the league up until the Olympics. So that's been a really good thing. A lot of the athletes I'm coaching have been able to get into that league. I coach the L.A. Current team. So in the LA Current, we have a lot of the athletes that are on that team. There's uh, 10 teams from around the globe that compete, and we'll compete in October and November, assuming we can. You know, and and that, that may have to get adjusted too. But the cool commitment was by the owner of the league that that decided to pay everyone at least some stable amount of money to uh, to help underwrite their training expenses, uh, and and that that's helped a lot. And and I think those. It's nice to see that, but we're going to have to, you know, just before this happened, I was, I was going to have a fundraiser for this. Uh, we have a foundation called Stand By Me Foundation. And that's to support these professional athletes that don't have sponsors otherwise and to help with uh, building the, the swimming, the community of swimming with the underprivileged kids in the community and being inspirations to them and creating that. Well, we were just about to have our main event the week before the shutdown happened, so we had to cancel it. And fortunately, we still were able to, to secure some donations. But at the same time, we're sort of back to the drawing board of that. So how to how to reconfigure the team? You know, I, I my my swimming pool contract was ending this year, so I would I don't have a new pool space contract signed for next year. So I have to still have to even make sure I have even water space going into next year. And water space is not inexpensive. Uh, so it's a, there's a there's a lot that goes into it, and and it does cause. Uh, some complication, you know, but hey, you know, compared to, you know, what some people are dealing with with this, you know, losing their jobs and their, and their, and their uh, different things like that, I, I, I can't complain. Uh, you know, I'm getting to do at this stage at, at my age what I want to do and uh, not doing what I have to do at this point. So th- this is a, a, a luxury for me. I just want to see that I can truly offer the athletes that that choose to train in sort of my environment the best I can give and that's what we're working on so we're constantly working on that kind of that kind of thing right now with
0: with uh with all the different ways we can support them. One last quick question. I I I know we've we've gone over the time we had. Um do you spend much time in the water? You know, I uh I don't like the black line.
1: <laughs> I don't like falling <laughs> a black line, but I have found out since I moved to California, I love surfing and I wasn't a surfer. I moved out here at 61 years old and I uh, took up surfing and, and uh, I, I literally a couple of times now walked my board since the park, they closed the parking lots for a while and had the ocean open. I was walking my board from my house over to there to, to the ocean and surfing. And I'm usually surfing with like these 12 and 13 year old kids that are just on crazy cool surfing things. I just try to stay out of their way. But I do love the water. I mean, I grew up in Miami. My, my dad you know, raised me on a boat, and we went you know, we went uh, skin diving, spearfishing, and fishing. That's what we did on weekends all the time. And so I, I, I do uh, love the water, but not the kind that has chlorine in it uh, so much.
0: That's so funny. Well, thank you so much for making time and uh, for all your service uh, on behalf of the community that you work with. Um, it's really great to talk with you. I appreciate your perspective.
1: Well, thank you. And thanks for uh, such a diverse audience, uh, diverse uh, folks you're having on the, these uh, podcasts. I'm really enjoying your shows. Well, thank you so much.
0: Um, be well, Coach. I hope you and your family stay safe. Thank you so much to Coach David Marsh, Team Elite, and Emily White at Collective Entertainment. Thank you to our editor, Craig Snyder, and thank you to Aunt Taylor and the whole gang at Light. Tell me about your new normal. Hit me up at at lawrenceatlight.com. That's L-A-W-R-E-N-C-E at L-Y-T-E dot com. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and be safe.